0: The Way City Church, located in Woodbridge, Virginia, is led by Pastor Marlon Yearwood and exists to reach the lost and disciple the believer. We're going to go into uh, the scriptures into uh, John chapter 15, uh, where we've been for a couple of weeks. I'd, I'd say this is my favorite passage of scripture, but I'm afraid pastors say that all the time. I guess every, every verse you're studying. Um, becomes your favorite passage of Scripture. But uh, if you ask me, when we weren't thinking about this passage, I'd probably put it as one of my top ten. There's, a, there's verses that I like better, um, personally. But it's a, a wonderful passage when we think about Jesus spending a little time with his disciples before the cross. He, he's, he's done all this ministry, he's done all this public work, and now he's concentrating on the ones that he's leaving to finish the work. And it's it's an intimacy, it's a joy that I just, I I can't overemphasize as we study this. We've been in chapter 15, and and the, the main word, the main message that Marlon's been preaching to you, and I hope you understand it, is that he, Jesus, is the vine, right? And we're the branches. We need to abide in him for anything good to happen. It sounds a little bit like we're going in a different direction today, but we're really not. We're going to stay with this idea of abiding in Jesus. But let's read the passage and and get into this. We're starting in verse 18, going down to 27. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I spoke to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they have not known him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, then they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will testify of me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. Father, we thank you for these words. Thank you for this wonderful passage, this intimate look into Jesus and his disciples. And Father, I pray that you would take now this short time that we have, take the words that I say, throw out the ones that are of no value, Lord, and hide me behind the cross and bring out the message that you want us all to hear as we study this today, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. I don't usually do this, but I'm going to give you three things to look for through this sermon. Number one, the world hates you. Welcome to church today, you know. (laughs) Number two, when the world hates you, the world is hating Jesus in you. And number three, this is really important, okay. Your response to the world's hatred of you is given to us by God. And I need to point that out because it's so easy to look at this verse and say it's all about hating. It's all about hate, and I don't think it is. I think Jesus was teaching this for a specific reason, and it's because we're supposed to abide in him. And when we abide in him, we're going to do his will. The world's going to hate us, and we will respond the way God wants us to respond. If all you take out of here today is that the world hates you, please don't. (laughs) Please don't let that be the message that resonates in your heart when you leave today. Yes, it's important to look at. The world hates us. But Jesus tells us this so that we can do what he wants us to do, to love the world anyway. So Let's go back and look at this passage now a little bit deeper and, and see how it resonates if we consider the fact that the world hates us, the world hates Jesus in us, but God has given us a way to respond to that hate. He says, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me first. Now, that conditional phrase, if the world hates you, is sort of like what he was talking about before when he said, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you. You have a choice on these things, right? Marlon mentioned to us that we have a choice. We can abide in him or we can't. We can do it our own way. If the world hates you, it's going to hate you because you're doing what God wants you to do. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. You want the world to love you? It's a simple thing. Just go do what the world wants you to do. But when you don't do what the world wants you to do, Don't be surprised when the world hates you. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, that's the reason the world hates you. Remember the words I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. Jesus uh, expounds on this in a couple of other places. He tells us, but a good servant will always be like his master. If you aren't in charge... (laughs) then you're not responsible. I'm only responsible for the things that God has put under me, right? I'm not responsible for what other people do. That's the great thing about preaching. I'm not responsible for what you do. I'm only responsible for what I say. (laughs) You're the ones that have to take this and live it out. A servant is not greater than his master. Don't get above the position that God's putting you into. If he puts you in a position, enjoy it. He tells you to abide abide. He tells you to stay in him, remain in him, remain in him. If they persecuted me, they'll also persecute you. Did they persecute Jesus? They sure did. Do you expect them to persecute you? You should. If they kept my word, they'll keep yours also. How did the world do about that? They didn't do very good, did they? (laughs) Jesus had to keep telling them, even his disciples, he had to keep telling them over and over and over and it was still pretty hard for him to figure out. And it's going to be the same for us. I have heard that when you're sharing the gospel with somebody it doesn't take one time sharing the gospel for them to come to the Lord it doesn't take two times it takes about 16 times for them to hear that message before it starts digging into their heads okay so understand that the world is going to have problems understanding you you may have a great day one of those days where everything goes just right. You feel like Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch because God laid it all out and you, you hit those verses just the way you wanted to hit it. You talk to this guy and he, he responded. He was listening to you. And you say, now do you want to come to know the Lord? And he says, no. He said, what did I do wrong? The people have trouble understanding you. Believe it. Live with that. Know that if they have trouble understanding Jesus, they're going to have trouble understanding you. But all these things they will do for you for my name's sake. Kind of nice to know that when we're being persecuted for righteousness, we're being persecuted for Jesus, not just ourselves. They do not know him who sent me. If I had come, not come and spoken to them, they would know no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. A little verse in uh, Romans jumps into my mind where it says, But the law came, I was without The law, I was blissfully ignorant, to use my own translation. But when the law came, sin popped up in me and I died. We didn't know we were even sinners till the law came and told us hey, you're sinners. Now they have no excuse for their sins. See, if I hadn't mentioned that, you wouldn't know you're a sinner. But now that I told you you're a sinner, you're stuck with it. (laughs) You're going to be held responsible (laughs) for that. And that's kind of another reason the world hates Jesus because he points out their sin he who hates me hates my father also and Jesus was very clear about this in, in his ministry if you've seen me you've seen the father remember when Thomas asked him Lord show us it's just a couple of chapters later here right Lord show us the father and that's enough and Jesus says wait a second Thomas if you've seen me you've seen the father now that's pretty cool so you think about this god wants you to abide in him right you're the closest anybody's going to some people may get to seeing jesus so if they've seen you you got to ask yourself have they seen jesus have they seen the father through you that's a pretty heavy burden <laughs> that's a that, that's a strong burden this happened that the word might be fulfilled which is written in their law they hated me without a cause they hated me without a cause no reason for the hate It's just there. When the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me, and you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. At least he doesn't leave us in that hard, hard state where he's talking about heat. He takes us back and he says, but remember this, you've got the Spirit. You've got something the world doesn't have. And the spirit in you is the peace and the joy and the encouragement and the help that you're going to need to respond to a lost and dying world in the proper way. So let's, let's, uh, let's define a couple of our terms here. We've said the world hates you. What do we mean by world? There's a story about a guy who comes home from work one day He's had a rough day. It's been one of those red-letter days where everything's gone wrong. He gets frustrated. He plops down on the couch, and he turns to his wife, and he says, What a nasty day. Everything went wrong. The world hates me. And the wife, who's heard this before, <laughs> who's put up with it so many other times, says, Oh, honey, the world doesn't hate you. Most of them don't even know you. When we say the world, we're not talking about every boy, girl, man, woman out in the world. We're talking about a specific group of individuals that Jesus defined for us. You were called out of the world. You're a believer. Believers are not the world. The world are those who aren't believers. When Jesus is talking about the world here, he's talking about unbelievers, those who do not have the truth. And he says, these people, these who are the natural man are the ones that hate you. And believe it or not, you were one of those before you knew Christ. And you naturally hated God. You were enemies with God. Now maybe that term hate needs a little bit of uh, identification too because we think of Jesus saying, well, if you don't hate your brother or your sister or your mother or your father, then you can't follow me. And we learn, well, it doesn't mean actively dislike. It just means, you know, it's not as important to you. But here, Jesus is using a much stronger term. He's talking about that active dislike. The world doesn't like to be around you. The world doesn't like you. It's not happy with you. This is hard for me to accept. Despite all the ways I've tried to train myself away from it, I know that at heart, I'm a people pleaser. I want everybody to be happy with me. I want everybody I meet to say, ooh, what a great guy. How, how neat it is to be around him. And that's a hard way to live, I'll tell you. I had a circumstance <laughs> that uh, came up this uh, last week that really tested the whole people pleaser thing. Tuesday night they told me Wednesday morning you're going to be driving a different route. You're going to be going up to Seven Corners. Now, have you ever driven a, a bus through Seven Corners? That's not fun. <laughs> you're going to be taking this route and you're going to be you're going to be picking up some kids and you're bringing them to a school. And it's not the route you normally drive, it's not the area you normally drive, but you're going to do it tomorrow morning. And you have to leave an hour and a half earlier than you normally do to get these kids and get them to school. So I said, oh, okay. I I spent that night. I looked at the map, and I I tried to plan it all out, and I tried to figure out how to all make the turns. And and early that morning, I checked out my bus. I got into my bus, and I started driving on 495. Now, 495 can be a a, a real treat, I'll tell you. (laughs) I knew I had this time to make, and I knew where I needed to be, but all these people in front of me didn't know that, and they kept getting in my way. I finally got up to exit 50 for um ah, whatever that road is arlington boulevard and i made the turn with that big old bus onto arlington boulevard and i saw this sign weight limit eight tons don't know what you know about school buses but they're not eight tons they're about 32,000 pounds that's 16 tons on that and i look at the road and it says eight tons i says, oh that must be a mistake you know they told me to drive this i'm going to drive it i get, He's laughed already. I get off the exit, and there's this big sign. Notice, truckers, weight limit eight tons ahead. <laughs> do not drive on this road. And I'm thinking, oh, okay, so I pulled the bus over, and I stopped for a minute, and I said, what am I going to do? I started calling in, and I said, what, what am I supposed to do? Two other buses drive past me and drive right down the road. I said, oh, okay. Obviously, those buses aren't going to fall off the road. I'm going to be okay. I get back on the road, I start on this road where I'm illegally driving, and I get to pick up the first couple of kids. And I'm, as I'm going along, I'm supposed to make this turn onto, I think it was called Glen Carlin Drive. And so I make the turn onto Glen Carlin Drive, and the next bit of instructions say at the first intersection, it's a Y intersection, you don't have a stop sign, you turn right so i made the turn on the glen carlin drive and then i made that uh, first right onto the next road there was no stop sign the other guys were all stopped i pulled in and i looked around and said this can't be right i had pulled into some apartment complex and there were cars lined up on one side cars lined up on the other side I said, okay how am i going to get out of this i rolled forward for a little bit and then i realized the road ended now it didn't turn anywhere it just ended i got this 40 foot 16-ton, 13-ton bus, that I got to back up about 150 feet. And people are going to work; they are not happy with me. <laughs> I put it in reverse. My alarm goes off. I'm, I'm, I'm watching my windows carefully, and I'm trying to back this out of this problem and back into where I'm supposed to be. And of course, I can't turn around. That 40-foot bus is not going to turn on a road. I had to back right into the intersection. How does that sound? I got this all done, and I look at my clock, and I'm 15, maybe 20 minutes late picking these kids up. So I called it in, and I said, uh, you know, Central, I, I'm 20 minutes late, I'm such and such a run. I said, okay, we'll tell the other kids. So I drive along, and I'm still puttering, trying to get to where I'm supposed to be. I'm a half hour late by the time I get these kids to school that day. I'm not happy, the kids are not happy, my bosses are not happy, and I'm thinking, that's a terrible way to be a people pleaser, isn't it? <laughs> wanting to please my superiors, wanting to please my students, even the other drivers on the road, I couldn't pull it off. I couldn't make them like me. And you know what? I didn't have to. I just had to do the job, right? If you're a people pleaser like me, and you want the world to to be pleased with you, you're not going to be able to do it. The gospel is offensive. This doesn't mean you need to be offensive. You don't have to go out of your way to be offensive. But don't think you can sugarcoat it and make people happy. When you tell them they're sinners and they're going to hell, they're not going to like that. And when you tell them the only way to get out of this is to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, none of the good things you can do, none of the activities that you're involved in, none of the wonderful gifts that you give to people are going to make any difference. They're not going to like that either. They're going to want to find their own way. The problem is, you need to be obedient to Christ. Because if you please them, you're not pleasing Him. Christ tells us that we need to abide in him and when we abide in him jesus is telling us that same hatred that the world had for him is going to come to us the world is going to hate you this is not the only time the bible gives us that truth we're going to go through a few of them here just so you can realize that jesus talked about this quite a bit matthew 10 he says and you'll be hated by all for my name's sake but the one who endures to the end will be saved Matthew 24, they will deliver you up to the tribulation and put you to death and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Luke 6, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. John 7, the world hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. Romans 8, who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written for your sake we are being killed all the day long we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered first peter 4 beloved we do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you but rejoice in so far as you share christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad When his glory is revealed if you are insulted for the name of christ you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of god rests upon you first peter 4 if anyone suffers as a christian let him not be ashamed but let him glorify god in that name first john 3 do not be surprised brothers that the world hates you second timothy indeed all who desire to live a godly life in christ jesus will be persecuted you can even find it in the old testament isaiah 49 says uh, thus says the lord the redeemer of israel to his holy one the one deeply despised abhorred by the nation the servant of rulers god tells us that the world's going to hate us now don't get me wrong here you're not supposed to make them hate you and also if the world hates you for the wrong reason, it's of no value to you either. You cut somebody off on the road, they're going to hate you. But that doesn't increase your godliness. If they hate you for your own mistakes, if they hate you for your own stupidity, then that's no benefit to you. But when they hate you for being Christ's, that's when you have to understand There's nothing I can do about this. I need to abide in Christ. I need to live in the power that He provides. And if the world says they hate me because of this, well, then they're going to hate me because of this. Again, I don't want to dwell on the hate. But it's so far in this passage that I want you to understand where it's coming from. If the world doesn't hate you, then you may not be a very effective minister of the gospel. Over the years, I've been part of a a number of churches, and it seems like every church that we've been in, whether small or big or uh, influential or marginal, They've always had some persecution. They've always had something run up against them. They've always had problems they need to deal with. And that's good. Because if your church is just floating along and doing nothing and not disturbing the waters, not ruffling any feathers, I doubt you're doing much for Christ. You might be effective in being a church. You might be good at reaching out to people. You might be... uh, um, blending in with your society in a wonderful way but that's the problem because your love of the world means that you're not loving god you are going to stand out there's a (laughs) i hesitate to talk about this but i think it just fits so well i think we need to look at it if you heard in the news just recently a leesburg elementary school teacher was placed on leave after telling the Loudoun county school board that he would not refer to transgender students by their chosen name or pronoun I'm not trying to use this as a political thing, and I know everything seems to become political nowadays. I just want to point out to you what this guy did. Uh, this, this man, uh, Byron Cross, he addressed the school members, listen to this, during a public comment portion of the board's Tuesday meeting. He says, it's not my intention to hurt anyone, but there are certain truths that we must face, and I cannot affirm that a biological boy can be a girl, and vice versa. All he's saying is, I can't do that. You want public comment. You want public input. Well, here it is. And you know what they did? They fired him. At a public comment place, he makes a statement, and he lost his job for it. I feel for this guy, because I've been going through some of these trainings that they talk. you know, these... Uh, uh, proficiency in uh, you know, in gender equity and all this. And when I go to these meetings, the first thing they always tell us is, speak your truth. Tell us what you're thinking. And the first thing I think is, uh-uh. Because <laughs> if I speak my truth, you're not going to like it. In fact, if I speak God's truth, you're going to be really angry at me. You suppose that's a failing on my part? I'm still employed. They haven't fired me because I haven't spoken my truth. I haven't been able to take the same stand that this guy did. Now, I do think you can speak your truth. And I'm glad that my supervisors and the group I work with know that I'm a Christian know that I'm not gonna involve in these things and and you see what what Byron was saying is kind of what I've been saying I said yeah I understand what these guys are doing and I don't have to be offensive to them but my response is gonna be offensive so what have I chosen to do I've chosen to call people by their names when when Sammy gets on the bus I call him Sammy I don't use he or she If I was put in a position where I had to, I probably would. But i try to be reasonable. I don't think God wants us to go out of the way to get into trouble. But at the same time, we can't be afraid of the consequences if we take a stand for what God's truth calls us to do. The world is going to hate you. The world is going to be uh, negatively disposed towards you. And you need to understand that. And the world hates you, but remember, when the world hates you, it's the world hating Jesus in you. It's not the world hating you, it's the world hating Jesus in you. Christ tells us that when we were abiding in Him, that same hatred that the world had for Him is going to come on us. If the world uh, hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you can someone hate someone without knowing them remember our businessman earlier wife said no they don't hate you they don't even know you well I think they can I think you can in fact hate someone without really knowing them without knowing them nearly at all the reason I say that I think I've been guilty of it myself God needed to train me and so he put me in the situation where i learned how easy it is to hate someone without even knowing them when i'm driving route one fun fun route fun place to drive i drive that every day back and forth and i make this left hand turn across three lanes of traffic easy to do because i got a light there turns red i wait turns green i go so every day as i'm driving my route i pull up to this one intersection. It stands out in my mind, not because the turn's really hard, not because it's hard to figure out what's going on, because there's this homeless guy who stands in the median, begging. And he has no qualms about begging from everybody. He will come right up to my bus and ask me for help. If I turn him down, he says, well, you got a cigarette? You, you, he keeps asking, he keeps after me. I'll sit there at the light, and he'll just keep wondering what he can get from me and if he can't get something from me he'll walk across my bus to talk to the people in the next lane he, he, he he's walking right out into traffic I see him late at night laying down inside the Metro stand I see the median where he always stands covered with garbage and so when I pull up there and I see this guy, you know what my first response is? I'm not happy with him. The way he lives, the things he does, they get on my nerves. And it's easy for me to naturally hate him without even knowing him. I don't even knowing what his situation is, what, what put him in that place, without even knowing what he really, really needs. I can hate him so easily. We hate what we don't understand we hate what scares us we hate what's different to us and so it's natural to hate and the world naturally hates christians because they can't understand this thing that we're doing the world hates you because you abide in jesus and the world hates jesus john 3 says for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed just being who you are just living out the truth of christianity makes the world feel uncomfortable james 4 says you adulterous people don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with god whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of god when jesus was sharing the beatitudes he lifted up his eyes toward his disciples And he said, Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and cast you out, cast out your name as evil, for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for indeed. Your reward is great in heaven, for in like manner their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you've received your consolation. Woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. See, right there, I realize that people-pleasers like me are in trouble because our desire to be liked by the world comes into conflict with our desire to please God. Abiding in Christ is to forsake the world, to abide in Christ and to let the world feel that hate. An unjust man, it says in Proverbs, is an abomination to the righteous. But one whose way is straight is an abomination to the wicked. Now, a natural response to being hated is to hate back. It's only normal, right? God, however, expects us to live a supernatural life. Since you abide in Jesus, your response to the world's hate must be in line with Christ's response. You might ask, well, Dave, where is that in the text? Understand, the text we're dealing with today is not the only thing Christ taught us. Christ didn't limit his message to his disciples to simply chapter 15, verses 18 through 27. We're in the habit of limiting ourselves to the passage we're studying at any point in time. I understand that. And pastors try to do their best to make their thoughts a complete thought and fill in all the things that you'll need to know. But as we look at this passage today, you've got to keep the last two weeks in mind to find this. You've got to go back and and, and hear from the beginning of the chapter, that abiding in Christ is what we're supposed to be doing. The rallying cry for the believer, as Jesus teaches this proof, this truth, about abiding in Christ, he's also providing us the information that when you abide in him and his word abides in you, you will naturally make the world uncomfortable. They will hate you just as they hated him. But your response must not be to hate but you must love, just as Jesus responded to hate with love. Scriptures tell us that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. that while we were enemies, he gave his life for us. That when we hated Christ, He came down to this earth to live as a man. He put aside all the joy and wonders and glories of heaven to take on human flesh. He made himself lower than the angels. And he did it for those who hated him. When he came down, he took on physical limitations. He was still perfect. He never sinned. And so he wasn't under the punishment of sin but he did something amazing he did something phenomenal he decided to take your sin upon himself you hated him but he loved you he took your sin on his own body he hung on the cross for you he died in your place that you might live that's the great message of the gospel that's the joy of what brings us here today and i want to mention to you if you found your, yourself in here today and you are a believer if you don't understand what i've been talking about this holy spirit in you stuff this uh, loving people when they hate you it's because you need to commit yourself to christ you may find yourself as part of the world naturally hating christ naturally not understanding the things he's saying but it's really quite simple he loves you so much that he sent his son. And if you would accept him, he'd pay the price for your uh, sin and bring you to be with him forever. So if you don't know that, you can know it today. You can accept his free gift of salvation just by turning and saying, Lord, I, I believe I'm a sinner. I believe I've failed. And I want you in my life. If you do that today, I'd really love to have you come up and talk to me. I'd love to have you come up and talk to one of these uh, godly people here who help and serve. If you're online, find someone who knows Christ. Sit down and talk to them. Because this first step on the pathway to glory is just a first step. There's so much more you need. You're going to need to learn to be ready for when the world starts hating you so that you can continue to abide in Christ. And abiding isn't a one-time thing. Your salvation comes to you in a moment. When you accept Jesus Christ, you are saved. Past, present, or future, you're settled. Your history is covered and your future is secure. But you see, abiding isn't like that. Abiding isn't that momentary thing. Abiding is a day by day, month by month, moment by moment walk with Christ. And you need to be strong for that. You need to be ready for that. (laughs) Because the Bible tells us, if anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he's a liar. He does not love his brother. If he does not love his brother, whom he has seen, how can he love God, whom he has not seen? Jesus uh, goes even further. He says, but if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners and receive as much back. But love your enemies. Do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you'll be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore be merciful, just as your father also is merciful. Wow. It sounds impossible. And I've had people say, well Dave, if if you take this attitude onto yourself, this is the way you're going to live your life as a Christian, people are going to walk all over you. People are going to take advantage of you. If you give, not expecting to get it back, you're going to go broke. If you do good to those who treat you bad, you're going to be a format. You're going to be used and abused by this world. And I say, you're right. I am. But I believe God is great enough to make it up to me. I believe walking with God is worth it. I don't have to stand up for my rights. You know, the one thing they, they really had to impress us as we began, became bus drivers, and it's probably because of this area we live in. I mean, these roads are crazy. <laughs> okay? They told us, your biggest enemy is driving aggressively because everybody out there is going to drive aggressively. So you have to be careful. You have to do it right. You're going to be cut off every time you try to make a right turn. People are going to be pulling in front of you and cutting off. You can't cut off anybody. You're going to see people shifting lanes all over the place. You can't shift lanes. You're going to see people speeding down the road. You can't speed. You have to drive clean. Because you're carrying a precious cargo. Does that make sense to you? Put that in the spiritual realm. You're going to see people cheating all around All around you. But you're going to have to be honest. You're going to see people greedy all around you. But you're going to have to be generous. You're going to see people taking advantage of others all around you. But you're going to have to be giving. Why? Because the precious cargo. Jesus Christ. The image of God in you. You're carrying precious cargo. Romans 12 says, if it's possible, as much as it lies in you, live peaceably with all men. Avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. If an enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him drink. For in doing so, you shall heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. I really like that passage. I know, I like all the passages. But, but this passage really means something to me. It, it's, it's from the Old Testament. If your enemy you know, is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And I've heard people say, but yeah, look, you get to heap coals of fire on his head well if that's what encourages you i'm gonna burst your bubble <laughs> because i had a pastor and i can't prove this okay this is not you, you can tune me out for the moment if you want <laughs> because this isn't directly from scripture this is the pastor telling me things that he had studied and he had learned i haven't done it myself i didn't work, do the work for it so i'm just gonna pass it on to you because i like it he said when this guy is talking he's saying if your enemy's hungry You see that he's hungry, you give him something to eat. If he's thirsty, you give him something to drink. And when you heap coals of fire on his head, here's what I want you to think about. Back then, they didn't have electric lighters. They didn't have easy ways to make a fire. You kept your fire going because when it went out, you were in trouble. And those coals that you banked up overnight better keep you warm. Well, if your enemy's coals went out, And he came to you. Here's what you're supposed to do. You take one of them clay pots that hold the heat real well and you heap burning coals into it. He'll take that, put it on his head and walk to his house and relight his fire. It's not about punishing him. It's about serving him. God doesn't want to reward us for punishing somebody else. He rewards us for serving them. Heap Burning coals upon his head. Give him the best of your coals to go relight his fire because when you do what's right, God rewards you. Abiding in Christ, walking the walk day by day, year by year, is what we're talking about. Abiding in Christ, in a sense, is simple. It's a straightforward thing. The Bible, it tells us what we're supposed to do. If you'll believe it, if you'll hold on to the truth that it gives you, you'll do the right thing. So it's simple. Abiding in Christ is simple. Do what Christ would want you to do, even when the world responds in hate. But if abiding in Christ is simple, that doesn't mean it's easy. It's going to cost you it's gonna cost your family it's gonna cost your loved ones for you to abide in Christ but Jesus said count the cost didn't he, he said no man goes to war unless he's first decided whether he can <laughs> with the 1000 people he have take care of those 2000 people over there no one starts building a house he realizes how much it's going to cost and and he has those those funds put aside jesus doesn't want us to put our hands to the plow and say okay lord i hear what you're saying i'm going to abide in you today but if things get rough tomorrow i may give up that's not what he wants what jesus wants is a lifetime commitment i remember when i was young listening to some old pastors talking about this finishing well Ending on a good note. I thought, oh, that's, that's great. But, you know, I, 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 me, I wanted to do it the other way. You've heard of burning the candle at both ends? I not, I not only wanted to burn the candle at both ends, I wanted to light it three times somewhere in the middle so it would burn as bright as it could be. I, I, I didn't want to rust out for God. I wanted to f- flame out for him. It's young and foolish. I've not done that. I've not done any real great things for God. They're not going to be writing me up in any of these books in the history of the 20, 21st century. But I understand where those old pastors were coming from now. Because having put so many years into this, I don't want to fail at the end. I want to carry it through. I want to abide in Christ. And when the world hates me, that's okay. Because I know what's happening. The world is hating Jesus. And I'm abiding in Him. And so when the world hates me, how do I respond? I say, okay, Lord. If that's what you want, I'm not going to get even. I'm not going to fight for what's mine. When my enemy's hungry, I'll feed him. When my enemy's thirsty, I'll give him a drink. When that guy cuts me off, I'll let him go. It's worth it. It's worth it because of Christ in us, the hope of glory. Will you pray with me? Father, your word is so precious to us. Your word encourages us and helps us. I'm so thankful that you sat down with your disciples before you went to pay that price on Calvary. And you, you reminded them of these wonderful things. I'm so glad you called them to abide in you, to have your word fill our hearts. I'm so glad you told us, Lord, that there would be trials. I'm glad you told us the world would hate us so that we'd be ready for it, so that it wouldn't surprise us, so that it wouldn't shock us out of doing the things you've called us to do. Father, Jesus went on, he told, he told the disciples, they will kick you out of the synagogue. And the day will come when, they, when anybody who, does, who kills you, who, who, who does a disservice to you, will think they're serving God. Father, help us to be ready for this. You wanted us to be ready that no matter the cost, we would continue to walk with you. No matter the things that are done to us, we would continue to live for you. So Father, help us to do that today. It's simple, it's straightforward, but Lord, it's not easy. Would you be with us? Would you guide our hearts? Would you encourage us and strengthen us? Today, today, tomorrow, this week, this month, this year that's ahead, for the next 20, 30, 40 years, however long it is. Help us to abide in you, to walk in your strength, to live a life pleasing in your sight. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We'd love to hear from you. Visit us at thewaycitychurch.org.